There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dylan. He has ankylosing spondylitis. Let's talk about it. Um, well, this will be interesting. Um, I feel like, I don't know if we've ever covered, I, I'm going to try this. Good luck. Ankylosing spondylitis. You nailed that 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I'm looking at the notes here and that, that it, it, name, that condition name syndrome, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Mm. It, it is like, it is, it is, it's a, uh, it's ringing some bells, it's, although I have no idea. It is, there's a familiarity there. Um, but, and I, I, I feel the exact same way as you, but, I, but I, I mean, it's so hard, like seven years of doing this, you know, over 600 episodes. Yeah. It's you really need some, a medical degree to keep, to, fuck, to really dude. be able to file it away efficiently. I, Christ. I know. Um, uh, to which we don't, we haven't gotten yet. Once no. we get that. Yeah. Once we like get that honorary doctor, yeah, you your honorary doctor. It's like, oh no, they've done over seven fifty. Like they know it all. Now. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. once we're we do get it. that, I mean, we'll be rifling this shit yeah, off. Then, but, it'll, then it'll all make sense. Yes, uh, but until until Dow until then, uh, you know, realizes how badly they're fucking up by not giving us an honorary doctorate, then uh, we'll be doing this, which is uh, kind of scratching our heads, going, "What the fuck is ankylosing spondylitis?" Uh, but Dylan, you have. Ankylosing spondylitis. So yeah. why don't you give us the breakdown on uh, what that entitles and what that what that is? Yeah. Entails. Rather. Entails. It's funny because it directly affects your tailbone, from my experience. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, but the cool thing about it, cool, um, is it kind of tells you what it is in it. Where it's like ankylo is like think of like an ankylosaurus. All their bones are like on the outside and kind of like fused up like weapons, and then. Spondylitis. You said th- you said think of one, and I'm going. I, I think I'm going to maybe Google. One. Okay, I don't know anything about dinosaurs. <laughs> Hard first sidebar. Don't know anything about dinosaurs. Missed that when I was yeah. in like elementary school. Didn't get to study dinosaurs, so it's a like very soft point for me. Anyway, uh, ankylosing spondylitis <laughs> is a form of rheumatoid arthritis um, caused by like, overdeveloped or like oversensory output of um, inflammatory cells. So your body just kind of is like constantly developing uh, inflammation points. It does have like flare up, like it is like a flare up style of disease as a lot of arthritis is. So like inactivity in the mornings, changes in weather, that kind of thing. But it primarily affects um, men more than women. Like, and uh, it starts off in your like early 20s or mid 20s. And it kind of attacks like the SI joints. So like anything like along the hip. So like that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like I was like, do I have sciatica? Yeah. I don't know anything about that, but that's kind of yeah. what you start thinking. Sure. Dude, um, you just saying uh, that, man, like, it I, makes I've, you feel weird. Oh, I've had so much fucking problems with my low back. Yeah. Uh, my SI joints have been like 
such a fucking and not so bad now um but but mostly because of cf due to the coughing yeah um it's it posed so many problems for my my low back in particular in my in that area and uh just hearing you say that sort of like gives me a twinge of like Uchi. Like you know exactly I, I, where it is. Yeah. It's like you feel that curve. Right? Yeah. It's not dissimilar to like when you see somebody get kicked in the nuts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I know yeah. exactly what that feels like. For, for people wondering what, it, what an ankylosaurus looks like, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically the dinosaur version of like Bowser. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's exactly what yeah, like, like, I bet you Bowser was kind of uh based like loose. He just based. had he just had like a really bad case of AS and he was just <laughs> grumpy because of that. Because it makes <laughs> you a miserable person. Yeah. Uh, AS is genetic. Um so like my grandfather had it. And my grandfather was like, you know, Newfoundland man, like worked out in like lumberjack, like cut wood, built mm-hmm. shit. Like he built the town he lived in basically Ooh. after I I learned after he died. Um but by the time I met him. He was probably six feet tall as like a grown man. By the time I met him, he was like five four, oh. full hunchback. Oh so my like god! That's it. Starts with the pain in like Bowser back. Yeah, like full Bowser, grumpy back, and like just a miserable looking man. Yeah, um, like that's my memory of him as being like I'm kind of scared of this guy because yeah. he's like you know completely bent over, total hunchback, super grumpy because um, it does cause fusion. So for my for my grandfather, his uh, rib cage started to fuse. And that's kind of what it targets. It fuses up along the back, kind of builds that, and then his rib cage fused. So it does have a lot of like um, respiratory issues. Mm. For the last like seven years of my grandfather's life, from age like seventy until he passed away at like seventy six, seventy seven, he was on oxygen Mm. um, because you're so he's been compression. Like you don't have the space. Yeah, it's like he doesn't really have breathing room. Like Mm. the breathing room in his chest would have been compressed. He also like he was a smoker many many years prior. Had been into some car accidents, but like. When I really think about it, I think AS is ultimately what got him. So is that is it auto? Is I'm I know that arthritis tends to be an autoimmune thing. Is it is it an autoimmune yeah, condition? It does count as an autoimmune condition, and also because with like the developments over the last years in treatment, like you do become auto um, or immunocompromised because of a lot of the treatments you have to take. Right. Yeah. Um, so like I take Brenzis, which is like an auto injection once a week. I like chose to do something that was once a week so I'd actually remember it because once a month seems too obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just like an auto injection that like, yeah, kind of like strips your immune system in half and um, this causes a anti-tumor necrosis factor. What the um, fuck? I know. I learned all this stuff like a week ago. I was like, okay, I want to understand <laughs> what, like what am I putting in my body so I understand what this is. But it just causes your body to like put out less of these like inflammatory, um, inflammatory cells and proteins. So your body doesn't, get inflamed because like this time last year is when i had one of my worst flare-ups and i was like i gotta get this under control before november <laughs> like, yeah right. what does a like, what does a flare-up look like um for, for me it's like i can't like i can't get out of bed in the mornings or if i get out of bed like the worst that i can ever remember is like january february 2019 and my wife and i lived in newfoundland for six months where i'm from and like i was trying to get out of bed in the mornings or be woken up every morning very early by like terrible shooting pains through like basically like right from the top of my like coccyx right through like under my like butt cheeks and would get on like would just find a way to like roll out of bed and crawl like in whimpering pain to the shower turn on the shower and just like fold over and just let hot water hit my back until I could like kind of walk I'd walk 45 minutes to work like limping the whole way I was working at a restaurant at the time so then I'd get there and by the time I'd get there I'd like kind of loosen up enough yeah but then if I was working a double between the two restaurants I was at, by like 2 a.m. closing the restaurant the night after, like I was just like a fucking, like, yeah. like I was the tin man. Yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. like the tin man has no closing spondylitis. Like yeah. that's his shit. Yeah. So it, it, The thing about back pain is 
it's so crazy because like, um, you know, Taylor, I know you, you're familiar with like having back issues every so often. Um, myself pretty familiar with it. Brian never really had any issues with his back. Um, Brian's also not here right now. He's in, uh, Antarctica, which is why he's not a part of this conversation right now. Um, but I'll speak on behalf of Brian. He, he threw his back out, uh, about a month and uh, a half yeah, ago. It was right before oh. I left. Yeah. And I remember when he came in, <laughs> like his, <laughs> he, he couldn't help but go, guys, I now understand. Like <laughs> yeah, I now yeah. finally understand what the fuck you guys have been experiencing every time you throw your back out. And the thing that I thought so interesting about that, that sort of exchange was like, you know, I come in with a, I've, I, you know, coughed throughout the night, threw my back out and I come in and there's like, you know, th- you can't, there's no hiding it. There's no masking, uh, like severe back pain. And it is so debilitating. It's yeah. so painful. You, you literally feel helpless. Like you cannot fucking do anything. And I think Brian, like seeing that was always, like, there must've been an, an element of him going like, yeah, suck it up. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it can't be that definitely. bad. You know, like, because he just didn't, he, he just didn't know. know. But then when he experienced it, he was like, oh shit. Right. I can't, I can't. Like my whole life is on pause my, right Your now. whole life. Yeah. It's fucking, it's fucking awful. So anyone who's never experienced like, you know, quote unquote, throwing their back out or having like some sort of like muscular seizing in their back or like any kind of like, you know, like skeletal back shit. If you've never experienced that and somebody in your life is going through it, just know it is one of one of the worst things I've ever experienced physically. And I've gone some through some hardcore physical shit. Yeah. It's the worst. Like Almost it's as bad ab- as a tummy ache. It's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can't do anything about it. No one feels bad for you. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as bad as the sniffles. Um yeah, it's it's really fucking it's really brutal. So so Dylan, you how old are you? Uh, I turned 30 this year. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. You've made it 30 years. That's wonderful. Uh, you're a new father, yeah. uh, eight month old baby yeah. at home. Yeah. She's super cool. Um, when you were saying, when you were kind of explaining, uh, what AS is all about, you had said that it typically starts to, uh, become apparent in like, in like your early twenties. So take us back to like, prior to AS being a part of your life into that transition of like realizing that something's going on? Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting because like I've always been an incredibly physically engaged person. Um, Like I worked as like an actor and mostly as a dancer. Like I was working on a lot of dance projects actually specifically, specifically like around this time last year was working on like a really large dance project and did a lot of that in my early 20s and was like pushing to be an actor, then got into like bartending, hospitality. And I remember just like feeling like I'm working, I'm working a lot and I'm like working out, I'm going to the gym, I'm taking care of my body, but then just feeling this pain mm. and thinking that I'm like, okay, this is like, I just threw out a muscle, like I deadlifted wrong or something. And like mm. thinking that it was like something that was my fault, something that I could do or something that I could fix. Right. Or like, oh, I, hit, I had a bike accident on my way to a rehearsal. I'm like, well, that was it. Yeah. And thinking that it was all something that could be explained away, knowing that like this disease is genetic. My grandfather had it. My dad has it. They both had different levels of it because their treatment has been different or caught sooner. Sure. But then just like, yeah, starting to feel useless. Like back in 2018, I guess, was probably like my second year like dealing with this like on and off pain kind of thing and thinking that like, okay, well, it comes and goes. And then when it's gone, I don't think about it. But you knew what it was. I didn't. I was like, I was really trying to like 
pushed to the side that it could be something like lifelong uh, or mm. like I really didn't want to think that it was what my grandfather had. Sure. So that didn't make yep. any sense to me. I was like, no, that's because he was an old man. Yeah. Mm. But like he probably dealt with it since he was, you know, 25 or yeah. whatever. Did you have in the back of your hit it? Did you have in the back of your mind like the the like even the notion that like okay AS is genetic? My grandfather had it. My father had it. Maybe one day I'll get it. Or or like or or did you have conversations with like your family about that sort of thing? Of Not like really like mm. it, it feels like this weird thing because I don't know. There's a certain level of um, like masculine ignorance towards yes. health, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, I yeah. I'm a huge advocate for. Like I got a family doctor very quickly in Nova Scotia. And like 90% sure that it's just because they were like, well, we need to boost up our clients. And he's never going to come. He's a 25-year-old man. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. And then I was like, ha, joke's on you. I'm going to be here like every three weeks <laughs> bitching about my back. Um, so yeah, the start of it was really just like feeling it take away things that I enjoyed. I was like, well, I really don't want to go to the gym if I can't pick anything up. Mm-hmm. Or like I really like I can't go for a run. Like I remember the first, like I was a training to run and getting better at it. And just being completely like shithole sideways, like mm. would take 10 steps out of my apartment, try to speed up and like, no, I couldn't do it. So then you go back in, you sit down and you just completely defeat yourself. You're like, this mm. is my fault. I did something wrong. Huge mental health spirals around it. And like thinking that like, mm. okay, cool. This is going to ruin my life. Like, I don't know what this is. And then eventually my dad just said something. It's like, well, maybe it could be AS. Like I have it your grandfather had it. And I was like, oh shit. Like, right. And then the process started of like, how do I find out about that? Like mm. I didn't have a family doctor in Toronto. My family doctor in Newfoundland had retired. So I was kind of like a man of no country and like, didn't really know like where my health card could get me with that. And like walk-in clinics are like abysmal. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so I remember like when I first moved to Nova Scotia was in a really bad, like the whole summer I was like flared up while I was doing um, Shakespeare by the sea out in Point Pleasant park. And like I was the fight director on that show and like I was doing like a lot of the heavy like physical lifting in some of that in some of that play. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I'm not going to get through it. So I like went to a walk-in clinic and they were like super dismissive. But I was like, okay, can you just put me on Celebrex? Which is what I knew my dad mm-hmm. took forever. They should call walk-in clinics rash clinics. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's like, what, I feel like that's what a walk-in clinic is really. It's bread and butter is like a rash. Yeah, it's like my junk's itchy because it's <laughs> yeah. like right next to Dal. And like I think if I say like the walk-in clinic next to Dal, everyone's like, oh, yeah, they made me feel like shit too. Like it's, yeah. it sucks there. Um, and I've had to go back there over and over again. I'd like get prescriptions refilled or be like, can anyone send like, can I get a cortisone shot or like something that'll make me feel less like shit? And they were like, well, the worst thing that I had said to me, and I will never forget it because I was like, okay, um, I think I have ankylosing spondylitis. I really just want to find a way to get diagnosed mm. um, because I just want, you know, some path. I want to like see a specialist, like see a rheumatologist. And the doctor at the walk-in clinic just said like, what would the difference be? We'll treat you the same way whether or not you have it or you have the symptoms of it. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like a lot of people's identity can be wrapped up in like how they like cope yeah. with these things. Yeah. I, and feel I, said, like, I feel like that conversation at a, at a walk-in clinic is sort of like trying to get a really comprehensive like customer support experience from, <laughs> from like a, from like from like an Asian call center. Yeah, where, this isn't gonna go anywhere yeah, I wanted yeah. to. And I just looked and was like, all right, man. Well, then just give me something that makes me not want to drive my car into the fucking lake. Like this yeah. anything. And like he just didn't care. He's like, all right, here's more of the, the same. Man, that's you're taking. that's like, a crazy thing to say as a doctor to a patient. Like you would you would think, or at least you would hope that like doctors, physicians have the the wherewithal to know that you know receiving a diagnosis although oftentimes can be like a um an overwhelming and scary thing there's also a lot of fucking relief that comes from that because it's it's 
okay, I have an answer. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, there's something that I can point to. Yeah. And, and now I have a starting point. Um, but to go, ah, well, what's the fucking difference? Like we're, we'll, we'll do it. it it's not going to change your treatment. That's not what it, that's not the point. The point yeah. isn't about the treatment. The point is about at least having some sort of starting point or answer that you can mm-hmm. then take and go forward on your journey, whatever that might be. Find yeah. support with, or because I mean like, yo, Instagram exactly. hashtags yeah. have been huge. I mean, that's, I feel like that's half the way we met. It was like, oh, right. Like dudes who feel like shit. Like it's like yeah. you know, people who care about men's health, people who care about like living with chronic illness and not feeling completely like gaslit by everything. Yeah. like, I don't know. I gaslit myself out of my disease for a long time yeah. where I was like, oh no, I feel like shit. It's my fault. And then would go away and be like, oh no, it's fine. Like, because it was a flare up, like come and go disease. Yeah. I'd be like, if I'm feeling fine, there's no problem. And I'm like, that's not how this shit works. Mm. Like I need constant monitoring of it. And I don't know. I think that's just, like I said, like there's a certain amount of identifying, like you don't want to identify as your disease, but you want to identify with as someone who like builds a world around it like yeah. builds space around that kind of thing yeah, yeah. i guess it's got to be a balance right like you don't want to you don't want it to be the only thing and you don't want it to be nothing yeah because if you don't pay attention to it then it will cause the problem cause problems that go far beyond uh, you know what far beyond what is manageable but if you focus in too much on it then you be you can just become it yeah um i was i was i was uh having a beer last night with uh with my buddy john and he was talking we we were he was talking about a shoulder injury that he's been dealing with and how he just kind of finally has been starting to get some relief and how how much he wraps himself up with like when his body is not okay like he is not okay yeah like and how it's not just my shoulder hurts it's not just this region of my physical being is not okay he's like it it affects every mm. part of me because it affects every part of like the way that I do my job and the way that mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like going out into the world and the way that I feel like interacting with people. And like, it's so all encompassing the way that our, our physical, our physical being is so, is so wrapped up in, yeah. in, in every, it's, it's so interconnected with how we, how we kind of show up in the world yeah. that it can be really detrimental when it's not, when we, when it doesn't feel good or especially when it doesn't feel good and you don't have an answer for why yeah. it doesn't feel good. Well, I felt like for me, there was a lot of like shame around being unwell. Mm. Like when it's like same thing, like with injuries or anything that I've sustained in the past as like someone who was a dancer, stunt performer, or like, or bartender, like what I do now is incredibly physical. And if I feel like I couldn't do it or like something was holding me back, like I feel devastated. I feel so embarrassed for some reason. And that's really interesting where again, like it's this mind body connection and then it starts triggering your mental health stuff. Like this time last year, terrible flare up. I was a mess. Yeah. And like I had a new kid. I had a baby on the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like my, the fear of like not being able to like get out of bed to pick her up or not being able to like pick her up out of bed. Mm-hmm. And then like it's I've been a little bit better because of different medications and stuff since she's been born. But like until I started the auto injections like two months ago, like getting out or like picking her up to get out of bed every morning, couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that felt like such a failure, right? And then like knowing the story of like my when one of my aunts was born, my grandmother being in the hospital and like passing her like new child to this father, like it was his second, I think it was like maybe his second or third kid. And then like her looking at the nurse being like, take the baby, he's about to collapse. And then he did. And that was from ankylosing spondylitis. And he would mm. be like, you know, in his like mid twenties, just cause like his body like couldn't hold him up and then just fucking crumpled. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. such shit. Like, yeah. So I've had those moments like where I'm like, I can't walk with her and I have to pass her off to someone. And it's just like, it's embarrassing because that's all I want to do, right? Like, like no, yeah. you know, it's all you want to do is like do the dad stuff. I want to throw the kid in the air, catch the kid. Like that stuff is like, I don't know, and that being taken away from yeah. you, it just becomes embarrassing yeah. 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 in yeah. a weird way. And when yeah. you have a, and when you have a kid, something that I've experienced, that I've been experiencing is like, 
my, I've just noticed that my, like I've, my mental health has been like, like really like a steel trap my, oh my, my whole life. And just in the past seven months of having a kid, I've noticed like those, like those walls have started to like show some cracks and I'm starting to experience like ang- like mild anxiety like more often than I have been. And I and I and I feel like there's a lot of ties to like to maybe like money and providing, but also like what you were saying, like being able to, you know, like all of a sudden my time is 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 much more is is much more um like what I do with my time is much more important now yeah. because it's not just like it's not just it's not just spending time with like my significant other that can understand if I'm not there um, because I have maybe have to do something, but it's like it's developmental. It's yeah. like how this this other person. So like being a father has really like changed a lot about how I feel about everything in my world, from yeah. work to working out to how I feel to like how I respond to stimulus and like everything. Like it's been a, a very like it's really shaken, shaken my world in a lot of ways, uh, outside of just like the amazingness of yeah. of what it is. Well, it, it's funny. One thing that like uh, my friend Cooper Tarvold said, he was a bartender now. He's like personal trainer at uh, Ironstone, and he just said like, after that thing is born, everything else in your life comes a distant fucking second. Yeah, Ooh. and it's like as a result, it does shift that kind of stuff. So you start like your anxiety start being about that. But like I was saying to you when I first walked in here today, like some of the things that happened to kid was like so many other things don't matter anymore. Ooh. Like I used to be so scared. Like I, you know, I wanted to be this like successful actor or for whatever. And now I'm like, I want to go watch the sunrise with my daughter again. Like I did for the first time this week. Cause that shit was unreal. Yeah. Like the simple things become so much more interesting. And then you kind of realize the joy, like the joy of a boring life. Yeah. Ooh, you know what I mean? Cause it's not like boring. It's like exciting. Cause you, I don't know. Having a kid means you get to live all over again. Yeah. Right. Like you want to live twice. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Like when I was like, w- w- uh, I was, saying to uh john came over last night after we had our beer and and like kyle and i were like saying something on the lines of how of uh like how she like shit that she's eating and it's like that if you just remove the context that we're talking about a baby that is the most boring fucking thing yeah yeah you could ever talk about you're like yeah carrots yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I snuck my baby a croissant. She's yeah. not allowed to have salt, but we had a croissant together. And you're like, nuts. isn't yeah. it crazy that this super mundane, boring thing has all of a sudden become interesting? What's yeah. really funny though is like, and and parents will be like, yeah, totally. And then people who don't have kids are like, that shit is fucking boring. <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't give a shit, man. You think that for you can think that all fucking week. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. so Dylan, like, uh, just coming back to yeah. the the AS and and you know that that sort of uh, that that experience of, of going to the walk-in clinics and just being like a real slog. How did you eventually get the, the diagnosis? Um, I have like a, because I'm super neurodivergent and like super hyper, hyper-focused ADHD. I just worked like a fucking dog. If I really think about it, like I got to give myself credit for like, Ooh. just being like, I'm figuring this out. I'm getting diagnosed. Um, and just like kicked up a stink. Like was, like I said, was at my doctor's office a shit ton. And I was like, hey, I want more blood tests. Because I got blood tests done when I first moved to Nova Scotia. Got x-rays at from sent by a referral from that same terrible walk-in clinic I mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, they, they got my x-rays. And the thing is, unless you get a certain very specific x-ray that, like, you need to be sent by a specialist for, they just kind of do a generic overview x-ray. And you can't actually see the inflammation or, like, 
the deterioration of the SI joints. So specifically like that pain, they weren't finding it correctly on an x-ray. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go for more x-rays or I'm going to go for more blood work. Because the thing is, a lot of people who have AS don't have a certain uh, HLA protein in their blood. And as a result, they can't get diagnosed because they don't have this certain thing. I'm like, yeah, but I can't fucking walk. <laughs> like, I know I have it. I have the symptoms. It is genetic. Mm. I found the gene marker or whatever. But like, I don't know. I, I even had a, like a physiotherapist say something like, well, no, you're breathing still pretty good. Like, you don't have any chest fusion yet. So you probably don't have it. And I'm like, I don't. It's I like, do know. I want to wait for the chest fusion? Yeah, yeah. Do I want to wait for like all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let, let, yeah let, you're right. Let's wait for it to get worse. Yeah. And then eventually, like, I went in to see my family doctor again. I was like, hey, man, like, I'm really still feeling terrible. Um, the Celebrex that I've been taking for like three years just doesn't really seem to work at all anymore. Uh, is there anything else I can do? Like, have you followed up on, like, you know, me getting a referral to a rheumatologist who can, like, actually look at it and, like, tell me if I'm all in my head about it or if it's like, yeah, no, you have it. And he was like, oh, I thought you already had a diagnosis. And I was like, dude, I've been coming to you for two and a half years mm -hmm. saying like, I think I have this. I'm pretty sure I have this. Can you get me this thing? Mm. Sent me for blood work, never said anything. And he's like, oh, you haven't seen a rheumatologist yet. He referred me. And I just, I got, I got lucky, I guess. Like it was only two or three months before I got oh, in. That's good. I remember getting the phone call. Like I was working at Luke Small Goods just around the corner and like got the phone call. And they were like, yeah, can you come in to see Dr. Trudy Taylor? And I fucking wept. I was like, oh yeah. my God, something, right? And I went in right away, filled out like a questionnaire. I was like beaming, like I was like bouncing the whole time I was there. And then she went in, I, like she asked me like, three questions. She's like, yeah, so you have ankylosing spondylitis. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. And it was the first time I've seen, I felt seen by a medical professional yeah. in like my entire fucking life. Yeah. Like I've seen osteo like osteopaths and like <laughs> secondary specialists and they've always been really positive, but like can't make a diagnosis and no. like, can't really work with me unless they know what they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just felt seen right away. And she's like, on average, it takes people 10 years to get diagnosed with AS. Oh, wow. So like me getting in like four and a half, five years, like I'm the lucky one. I'm yeah. like, man, what would I have been in five years? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Chest what, fusion, and, probably. And, right. Like, and, and what you said about the, about the, with the physio, like that, that really is, is like this little nugget of, of what is one of the biggest issues with like the overall medical system. And I don't mean yeah. like on an individual basis, but on like, just the culture of Western medicine and one of its biggest flaws is the, is the like, let's wait for it to be bad yeah. uh, mentality. Mm. And that like, you re we really don't need, like we don't really don't need to do much until it's bad rather than, rather than being proactive. And I understand that there's like a trillion things that go into the healthcare system that make it very complicated and bogged down mm. and inefficient and all these things. <clears throat> and one of the, biggest uh, shitty byproducts of that is that it cre it ends up creating the it's not bad now so let's not let's just like kind of ignore yeah, it but yeah, that creates like it in the, us too right yeah. that creates it in like the in like the patient or like the person suffering is like well i don't want to if i'm not feeling bad today maybe i should i shouldn't go like i shouldn't see this physiotherapist i yeah. shouldn't go bug my doctor again about it because i don't feel bad like why would i waste this valuable resource like we're always told how like mm -hmm. you know and like the thing is i see other people like, i have other friends and like very specifically i have other women in my life who've like fought to get diagnosis for like specific like endometriosis or other things and yeah. they just can't yeah like their doctors are like doing all this nonsense shit that's like not leading in the right direction where it's just like just send me to the person yeah Ooh. and it's just interesting because like again if you look at like the statistics men under the age of like 40 see a doctor like once every two years 
So then as a result, like it seems like, you know, yeah, sure. Men not, not worried about their health. And then women who are fighting for it, not getting any actual like support. Yeah. So it's like really weird. And like, I feel like my male privilege is showing by the fact that I just was like, I asked enough times. Can someone tell me I fucking have this disease? And then because I asked enough, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really you does. Know what I mean? It like, really it's does. Really interesting. Like I, I've, I know it anyway from doing this show. Like the, the advocacy that is oftentimes required to really get somewhere with your, like, with taking care of your health proactively, um, or even reactively. Like even when yeah. something can yeah. be bad, it can still be. Uh, it can still take a lot of advocacy. But uh, I'm noticing it more firsthand right now, having a child and having. And, ha- and noticing how there can be an issue, a small issue that your child has, but really the doctor, the family doctor's approach to figuring out whether that's something that needs attention is like, is fairly one dimensional. So it's like, for example, like a tongue tie on a baby mm-hmm. is like something that a doctor looks for right away. And, a, and what I've found out, and this is just a, an example, just to illustrate this whole thing is like a tongue tie can make breastfeeding really painful for the mother. Hmm. Now, that isn't the case for Kyla. So the baby must not have a tongue tie. And that's sort of like, that, that's so, so it's like, is it painful? So Kyla goes, I, maybe there's a tongue tie. And the doctor says, is it painful to breastfeed? No, no tongue tie. That's sort of like how it's looked at. Yeah. Even though there's like 10 more factors that can have and that can have a downstream effect if there is a tongue. And so I'm just and I'm saying that because we just found out there is a tongue tie and it actually has these all these other effects. Yeah. And really the painfulness of breastfeeding was really just one dimension of the whole thing, but it doesn't get treated, doesn't get looked at after looked after because they're really and, and not really through the fault of the doctor. Like that's their their training is to go what is like to to kind of rank order priority and to ask questions appropriate to that rank order and figure out what to do. Yeah. And it's, there's just cracks in this. There's just cracks. Everything Ooh. is symptom-based, right? Like yeah. everything is active symptom-based. It's like, well, can you live with this? And like, I feel like it wasn't until I was like, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> like when it was, you know, showing up at an emergency room, sitting in an emergency room for four hours. So I'm like, my back just hurts so much. Like just give me like something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's until you're at that absolute point of breaking then they, then they'll pay attention it seems sometimes so how did that change once you get you so that you see the rheumatologist and they're like oh 100 <laughs> percent, yeah. you got this what happens then uh, my process was actually any that even that got expedited so it was probably back june when um it was my second meeting with her and she was like okay well i'm going to put you on uh, a second kind of nsaid so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. Cause I was on the Celebrex for like two and a half years and like did, it was useless. So then she put me on, um, some other like high anti-inflammatory, really common one, which is uh, naproxen, mm-hmm. which like also like wrecks your guts, yeah. but they're like, you naproxen, have to take this for three months. Ibuprofen, yeah. like, t- yeah. like Advil, like that's a, yeah, like I'm all in people. the same like anti-inflammatory, like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory world. So I'm taking naproxen. She's like, you have to take this for three months before you can be considered for biologics, which are like the more invasive, like, you know, going to repattern your like immune system kind of mm-hmm. drug. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'll do these for three months. And like, she was like, they aren't going to work. She's like, they're not going to work. And my wife kind of had like a little bit of reaction to that she's like, but so now that's going to give you like yeah. an anti placebo effect. And I was like, no, it's fine. I don't care. I'm like, oh I'm God. game to take drugs for three months. And she's like, nah, fuck it. Like I just, I wanted Dude. to take them. Right. Just to get it over with. And then like even two and a half months in, I got a follow-up call from her and she was like, 
how's it going? And I was like, ah, I mean, they're not doing anything. Like I still felt like relatively shitty all summer, but a little bit better than most years. Cause like better weather, like the weather directly affects AS so much mm. I find. Um, and then like, she was like, okay, yeah, well it's been two and a half months. I can try to like sneak you up the line. And that's when shit got really awesome. So she gives me the Brenzis. I'm like super nervous about auto injection. So I didn't want to do like needles myself because despite being like, you know, covered in tattoos and <laughs> having gotten a million needles in my life for all the other little ailments I've had and shit, um, I like was not ready to give myself a needle. Yeah, so I was like auto injector, like please auto injector. And what's an auto injector? So it, it, it looks like an EpiPen. Like I basically oh, yeah. just give myself an EpiPen oh, right. so every you, week. You right? So the difference is that you don't have to plunge, you don't have to stick it in and plunge the, plunge yeah. the, yeah, it's like it like kind of like I can just like rock it in my leg like an EpiPen, yeah. and it's so like the needle is covered. I don't see it. I don't have to like plunge into things. I don't have to like cool. find a vein or anything. Um, Does it hurt a little bit? But like I was super nervous about it because also like <laughs> these drugs cost like you know a shit ton of money. Like it's like somewhere around fifteen thousand yeah. dollars a year. Yeah, and I was like, if I screw up and like get scared and like oh, yeah. stick it in and pull it out halfway, then the drug that one's wasted. Right. I had to do it. We did IVF to have our baby, and, oh, wow. and I had to do a bunch of that with yeah. Kyla, and like we had to take the drug drugs and that there was there was like there's oftentimes there was drugs and saline and you had to mix them together before you did it and like same idea was like these drugs cost so much fucking money don't fuck it up don't, don't fuck, fuck it up, it up. Like, and those weren't auto injectors right no one like of the, was... one of them was and then there was other ones that were yeah. like sub q yeah yeah like, oh man needles, yeah. so that makes oh. you so much more nervous because you're like that could go so wrong so they sent me to like the infusion clinic which is like right there in spring garden so like i got training to how to do it so the first mm. one I went in like it's just like an injection in the leg and she did it for me. And then I went back the following Monday. And I did it myself as a stomach injection. So I can do like, I'm supposed to rotate it every week, like left leg, right leg, stomach area. Right. Um, and it's like instantly felt something out of it. Right. Oh, like really? It's the time of year where like, it's just people can feel the first kind of response at it of roughly three weeks and then three months you kind of feel the full effect. But I'm like, I have no pain in my lower back right now Oh wow! for the first time ever. And then of course comes the issue of like, how am I going to pay for this? But not immediately covered, to like, not, well, it is covered under, like I do have insurance. Like I'm very lucky that I work for a very ethical, awesome bar. Um, like Bar Kismet has insurance for all of the employees. So yeah. like we're with Sun Life. It covers, you know, a lot of things, which is great. Right. So it's uh, private insurance covered, yeah. but it's not like, it's not provincially. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not provincially covered if at all. You didn't so have like, that plan. I wouldn't have anything. Yeah. And just, just a little shout out to Bar Kismet because, uh, you know, I know a lot of folks that listen to the podcast are not from Halifax, but Halifax is a, a kind of a destination that a lot of people like to flock to and come and visit. Um, if you ever do come to Halifax and you are a foodie and, or you're into cocktails um, or just in general like going out to somewhere nice, Bar Kismet, in my opinion, is the best restaurant in the city, it's it, every single person who's ever come here, if they're ever like, where should I go? The number one recommendation for me is Bar Kismet. It's so glorious. It's such a sweet, it's like a, it's like a Michelin star rated restaurant that just hasn't gotten the Michelin rating yet. Okay. Like I fucking love that place. So it's nice to know that on top of that place being so great as a consumer, they'll that, ensure your that, ass. That, that, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that they're also great for, you know, with their, their employees. So yeah. that's, that's really nice to hear. They've been really like, I don't know, dealing with, I've had to deal with this illness while being an employee there and like being a bartender and not being able to move. Like are, we're yeah. on our feet, like, you know, 10 hours a night, yeah. like shaking cocktails, which is not conducive to the way your body works. And like, yeah. I don't know if it wasn't for the insurance I had there and just like also them being like, don't burn yourself out and yeah. I, it would be bad. So like, Thank you for acknowledging all the hard work we do as like the staff there, 
but like the staff are so well treated too that like it's one of the reasons the place is so good yeah because we actually just feel valuable like we're all championed to be the best versions of ourselves and that's why things get to be good there yeah like it's yeah like there's there's like the best the best place to go awesome glad that other people feel that way but like the best place i've ever worked oh, i've been there for three great. years yeah. like i get yeah. to you know work really creatively on the bar program and it's like it's just unreal yeah so yeah i uh when when you said the thing about um when you said the thing about being told to take these to take naproxen for a certain amount of time just because it's like even though they knew they were like it wasn't going to work because just because like that's the protocol yeah so it's like we just got to follow the protocol you have to do two months two different they, uh, you yeah. have to take two different drugs before they assign you this one i got i got back from uh i got i f- got back from europe a uh, week and a half ago and uh, or a week ago and uh i got off the plane and we had a ton of shit and i was traveling with my bike so i had like we had a bunch of luggage we go outside to get a taxi back into the city and there's like a line of taxis and the way that it works is you got it is like the first taxi it's a first it's the first taxi is the is the is, is the one to go yeah the first taxi is like a, is a car and i can't i mean clearly you can't put yeah, the yeah. shit that we got in the car so i go up to the car behind it that's a van and I go, hey, um, can we uh, Dude, go no. to the city? And the guy Wait, goes, not until he goes. The guy goes. <laughs> the guy goes. Uh, yeah, you got to ask him first. And I go, Ugh. but I got all this stuff. And he goes, I, I know, and I know you can't put it in the car. Rules are rules. <laughs> and I go, and I go. So I go up to the first car and I go, hey. Um, I know that my shit won't fit in your car, but that guy said that I have to technically ask you for a ride before he can take me. Um, so you can't take me, right? And he, he looks at my shit and goes, no, of course not. And I go, yeah. And I go, okay. Thank Thanks you. For this roundabout no. And then oh I go back God, to the van dude. and I go, so cool, yeah, he officially said no. And he goes, all right, cool. Let's put yourself in the car. <laughs> like, as soon as you said that, I was like, I was like, God, there's such this weird culture around protocol. It's that just like, oh, it's so dumb. That's just so like dumb. goes right in front of logic. Yeah, and just yeah. like you can't, it's like logic can never supersede protocol yeah. in some yeah. ins- and yeah. you're like, what the fuck is going on here? What are we like? What are we doing? Here? Yeah. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts we we met uh earlier in the summer while you were working at luke small goods uh also a great spot if you're in halifax go check them out they've good got sandwiches. Yeah, really good sandwiches there um resell the bread <laughs> uh, yeah they're, oh, they okay. they cook it right underneath us oh i know yeah it's great <laughs> yeah. it's great um yeah it's like when we moved in here we were like why does this place always smell like a bakery? Like it's so awesome. Um, but uh, we met there, and and you uh, you uh, took my order, and you were like, "Hey, I want to come on the podcast. Like, I I would love to be on the podcast." I was like, "Yeah, sweet." Um, and then and then time you know time like slipped by, um, and uh, just recently you put out a post on, on your Instagram where you were talking about uh, you know. Uh, uh, 
access to a medication? Uh, is it a new medication? Give us a little bit of insight into what, what's going on there. Well, it's really, I mean, yeah, because I recognized you because I'd been following your Instagram and I'd seen the post about like your medication, that breakthrough. And yes. it's just like life-changing but also very expensive thing like i can't remember exactly but you're like this pill is yeah three hundred thousand dollars yeah oh yeah so i mean like my medication is not in that ballpark and like you know still all these medications are prohibitively expensive for any human being who has a i don't know regular job and doesn't come from money yeah um but so that's what my doctor told me like dr trudy taylor who's like from the rheumatology specialist clinic um on summer street she was like, there are programs for people with rheumatoid arthritis. And I was like, that's amazing. She's like, I'll get you in touch with the Harmony program. And then they will be the conduit between your insurance company mm. and the drug. And because that program like doesn't want any hiccups, like they're once you're prescribed these drugs, they're like, we will make sure you get access to them right away. So they just give a credit card on file to your um, like credit card on file to your pharmacist. And then it's just like carte blanche. You go in, you're like, yeah, I'll take my first four. So that's like instantly that was like twelve hundred dollars of medicine that I got just covered by this program called Harmony. Wow! And amazing. they like that shit. That was amazing, right? Yeah. And that was just for the first session. Then like, okay, then we'll talk to your insurance company and we'll see what your insurance company can do and how much they're willing to cover. Mm. Um, so they like bridge the gaps. So yeah. That you can like you don't have to be waiting to for to, for relief. Yeah. So like you can just get it right away and like that is like again miracle success story. Like um, yeah, Rachel from. Um, Harmony has been amazing. Like, also, I'm terrible with my phone. I like recently had my Instagram get hacked and all my stuff got lost, which was brutal. Um, but did you make any money in crypto? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it. Um, uh, but like, so I lost my phone number and all this like nonsense from this hack. And oh like, they were trying to reach me and didn't have my phone number. And like, but they like kept persisting and found me again. So like, they did the work to get me the money to get my medicine. I was like, thank you. That's like, un- like that's unbelievable. So I finally got on the phone with her and on the phone with my insurance company. And I just had to be like, yes, you can talk to my insurance company. They talked and then my insurance company agreed to cover I don't know, like the 75% that the like it's in the contract, which is mm. again, incredible. And then she called me back and it's like, okay, so your medication is going to be X hundred dollars a month. Is that doable for you? I'm like, I mean, like it, it won't be easy to spend an extra, you know, couple thousand dollars, three, four thousand dollars a year. And she's like, well, would us covering it for you be helpful? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, we can just do that. So this program exists for people to like make it possible to get their medicine. And like, if I'm ever in a better financial situation, like mm-hmm. if I was working, you know, a like higher salary job or sure. whatever, like great, I would absolutely be like, yeah, thank you guys for taking care of me. I will, you know, cover the remainder now. Yeah. But like, because then there that, that makes space for somebody else that doesn't. Exactly. Happen, and like, yeah. again, no one wants to be selfish about it. Um, but thing is, then they said too, like, you know, if anything ever changes with your insurance, we'll help you out. So this program exists to like bridge the gap Cool, and it's awesome. So like, you know, the $20,000 a year medication that I'm getting or $15,000 whatever is like not something that I'm prohibited from having. Like yeah. I just have it and I'm taken care of by them. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just taken care of and it's like, it's just absolutely life changing. Like I don't feel pain. Like this time last year I was like, you know, again, kid on the way feeling miserable, like the worst mental health spiral of my entire life, like completely borderline suicidal, like Mm. awful space. And then here I am this year being like, my life rocks. Like everything is come full 180. So so you take that every month? Uh, Every week. Every week. It's a weekly injection. Oh, right. You said every week versus every month. And and so you take it every week and it is an immunosuppressant drug. Like how has has getting that drug, I mean, you know, the, the environment that we live in, COVID, the conversation around being immunocompromised and COVID, and not just COVID, but like 
your immune, you know, your your immune system is not just paying attention to COVID. It's it's yeah. it's you know it's more uh, susceptible to anything that's going around. Um, how what what does that look like for you? How do you manage that? How do you think about that? Uh, I mean, like I guess everyone's a lot more conscious of it now, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I luckily I've never been someone who's gotten sick too many times, but like you know I did have COVID that sucked. Um, I've had like you know my three or four shots now mm-hmm. because I am like trying to keep on top of it a little bit. Yep. Um, but the way that like my rheumatologist put it, she's like, okay, so your immune system your immune system is like functionally cut in half. So if you get one cold a year, now you'll get two. And I'm like, that's actually a better way to look at it. Mm. So it's like, I feel like I have like an underlying risk of infection, but I'm not likely in a super volatile environment. Yes, I work in hospitality and service and like as a bartender, especially when COVID started happening and people started sitting at the bar again in this like slight post-COVID world, all you're thinking about is how much people are just basically spitting on your hands. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, people are spitting (laughs) on my hands all night. That's what I do professionally. Um, So it's definitely concerning, but like just it's, you weigh your factors, right? Like. I don't know, even right now, like I was someone who gets cold sores and like has like dry lips and like small little infection, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I have like an underlying small throat infection at all times for the month of November. Mm. But like it's I'm walking like I don't yeah. care, like I'm walking. Right. So mm. was the was the was what your um, uh, was what your doctor said to you, uh, like putting it as you're going to get two. I'm just curious because I, I like immunocompromised, immunosuppressed is like. They're words that we are much more, like you said, we're much more familiar with because of COVID and yeah. how COVID yeah. sort of brought those things to the surface um, for the for, for the average person. Um, but I, I must admit, like, I really don't know much at all about what really that means. And when you put it that way of, like, you'll get two cold, you might get two colds instead of one because your immune system is effectively cut in half. I would have I would have probably more intuitively thought about it as your cold would be twice as, wor- as bad. Right. Instead of, you know what I mean? Like, was it, was there any, it, it, was it like you might get more sick and more sick more often? Or was it just you might get sick more often, but it'll be about the same level of, you know, you like. Yeah, it was worded to me as you might get sick more often. Okay. And I definitely thought like, yeah, but I'll also probably get more sick. Yeah. Um, and like, I haven't had like a real flu yet. Um, I'm sure like. I'm taking a five days off work next week. So I'm sure my body's being like, you're tired. And I'm like, oh yeah, I am. So I'll probably get sick next week uh, and we'll see. Um, but I do assume, yeah, like my body doesn't have quite the fight back power it used to. So yeah. I'm assuming it would be worse. But I think like there are certain things within the maintenance of illness, which I think is or like, you know, infection that we've like learned to maintain better where it's like hopefully the idea of like, you know, if I am sick, I will wear, I will do my best to wear a mask now. Yeah. Like I'm not someone who um, has kept wearing a mask as much as, you know, some people have, which mm-hmm. again, I think it's an incredible level of thoughtfulness, but like personally, if I was like, okay, runny nose, like bit of a cough, I'll probably slap the black mask back on and just go. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just some level of consideration. Um, but also I think like there's a lot more encouragement around like, if you're sick, don't go to work. Which then leads us to the problem of like yeah. how labor has labor laws exist in Nova Scotia. We're yeah. like, we didn't get those sick days, really. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was living in Ontario back in 2018 before a certain pre, um, premier took over when we had like paid sick days. We had like two, I think it was like two to five or something a year. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what, but it was like from my restaurant job, like guys, I can't work today. Like I, I was having weird chest pains and I couldn't go into work. And I got covered. I mean, it wasn't the same as like getting covered and getting tipped out, but it was like, sure. at least I'm not like, you got your wage, you covered. know, like I'm not eating yeah. like a whole day off work and yeah. with no chance of coming back. Well, this was this, this was, well, we were talking about this the other day, uh, on the, on last week's 
on a Feel Good Friday episode. <laughs> yeah. I was like trying to like figure out the days. Um, and uh, I, I was we were t- I was talking to Jared about this article that I was reading that was basically going like, it was talking about COVID and vaccines. And it was like, well, vaccines, like this is like one piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. with COVID. But then there's this like this like whole broader public infrastructure piece of that that helps keep COVID uh, minimized, uh, minimized as much as possible. And one of those things would be something like paid sick leave. Yeah, like, right. yeah If you've got yeah. paid sick leave, then... People aren't going to be just showing up to work. Less people will get yeah, COVID yeah. because yeah. people won't be apt to ignore the signs of illness yeah. that keep them from work. Yeah. And especially because when you say that, I, I, I think I got COVID recently and I recognize how I really didn't know I was sick until until a few days after I was sick, like in hindsight, looking back. And then you got to think, well, how much of only realizing a few days later is that I actually realized that I didn't feel good? And how much of it is a psychological component of pushing away the fact that I don't feel good? And really just not even being conscious fully or or fully conscious that you don't feel well because you're just trying to go... Oh, this is gonna be a fucking pain in my yeah. ass. This especially like, on vacation, you know. Especially yeah. when you're on vacation, you're like, I paid a lot of money to come here and do this thing, yeah. and uh, I don't have time to be sick. Yeah. I don't have, I can't afford to be sick. I yeah. um, I was in New Orleans this summer for the Tales of the Cocktail uh, Cocktail Apprentice program, um, and so I was in my introductory level. So there's like a gray coat level above you, like someone who's like your supervisor. <laughs> and I got there, and on the first night, we're all like meeting everybody, being like, Oh, cool! I'm so excited to like work with you and make like thirty thousand drinks in five days. Like mm-hmm. it's insane. And like my like gray coat, like my supervisor level, she was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go home early. I'm not feeling great. And then like next day, she's like, I have COVID. And we're all like, oh, God. So then like she's in New Orleans and spends like six days in a hotel room, like stuck in a hotel room. You're like, that would suck like to get into this like really cool program and then be stuck. And you can see how (laughs) how psychologically somebody can not even consciously make the decision to ignore it, but just to subconsciously go. I feel fine. Like I've only, yeah. it's only a little headache or it's only this or it's only that. And you just keep going and you keep doing yeah. your thing. So like yeah. the public infrastructure of going, Hey, let's like, let's enshrine this into, um, into legislation that, you know, companies and that has a downstream effect on everything. Like it's not just one thing. It's always complicated and it's always yeah. convoluted, mm. but it's a piece of it. One of the things you, uh, we were talking about earlier in the conversation was like the mental health piece and like how, you know, you were struggling with like the thought of not being, the father that you kind of wanted to be or could be when your body's kind of like failing you. Um, And, you know, we, we talk about mental health a lot on the podcast. I'm just kind of curious about like your mental health journey through the process of trying to find out, you, you know, what you were dealing with, with AS, Um, you know, what, like, did you, what's your relationship to mental health? And like, and, and by that, I mean like what's your relationship to managing and like identifying your mental health and like, have you, have you had experience with like talk therapy or, or things like that in order to kind of manage how your mental health is sort of like waxing and waning? Yeah. I mean like for me, I guess there's been a lot of uh, mental health factors and I've been luckily surrounded by a very, um, mental health positive household yeah my mom is a now retired guidance counselor um which is awesome so she's always been very much about like that life that understanding um a lot of my family has been diagnosed with different uh, mental illness and stuff and like <coughs> i always kind of like took a weird um anti-medication pride route which i think was really stupid for a lot of my life yeah uh, I think there's no shame in medication but i think for me i was like yeah i was diagnosed with anxiety when i was 15 but i don't take anything for it and i'm mm. like 
why is that a thing to brag about? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's, yeah. That's like in a certain sense, it's like kind of ableist, like neuro, like um, neurotypical ableism of some sort, where you're like, I'm kind of have it, but I'm like, no, I think that's really silly. Um, but that always always been around me. Um, but then eventually, I think like the thing for me was like a lot of people in my life just started calling me out on stuff. <laughs> they were mm. like you're a disaster at work right now or you're like waning on house responsibilities or like anything like that. And eventually it got to the point where like, I think my wife just said, it's like, I can't deal with you until you see a therapist. And I was like, mm. oh, that's huge. And I yeah. deserve that. Yeah. Cause like, and that was um, last year early in her pregnancy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have to deal with this right now. You shouldn't have to deal with me like spiraling out of control about like anxiety around like work or success or making enough money or like all this stuff. Cause I've always been someone driven to like want to be in the limelight or something like that. And that causes a certain level of um, like self image anxiety. Mm. Um, I lived with eating disorders as a kid, like as like 15. So I guess like I still live with some of that stuff um, like bigorexia, anorexia, that kind of stuff, like body image issues. And then when you like lump in um, like my physical like illness on top of that, it became like a really like, spiral based thing. So when I would start with like the physical pain, I'm like, okay, I'm incapable. And then it starts pointing out all the other things I wasn't good at doing. Like, okay, I'm not organized. I'm like falling apart. I'm lazy right now. And then like, I'd never been diagnosed with ADHD. And I think as like my age bracket was like, you know, you started hearing ADHD a lot for like mm -hmm. five year olds, 10 year olds, like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So like those kids who got diagnosed, we all saw it. This is like silly, rambunctious behavioral thing for like children. Mm. And then those of us who like didn't have those symptoms as a kid grew up and didn't develop any of the coping mechanisms that comes with that or any of the medication access that comes with that. So then as adults, you don't really realize it's like affecting you at all until you're like, are like oh, I can't get anything done. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes like as a creative person, like as someone who writes or designs drinks or whatever I do, like... I was using it as like my superpower. And I was like, yeah, I'm dealing with this. I'm finding my coping mechanisms until I was like, no, I'm not like I'm a mess. Mm. And so there was always this spiral of like physical ailment, feeling incapable, totally spiraling off the rails and becoming like very self harmful. Um, and I finally got again, just by like pushing for it. I was like, okay, I want to see like, um, I want to see like someone who can professionally diagnose me for ADHD. And when that happened, I got diagnosed for ADHD, uh, borderline personality disorder, which is one that doesn't really get talked about in the same way um, mm. as a lot of the other ones. Mm -hmm. They get a little bit too like trivialized and then like anxiety disorder. Um, so of course we always hear like things like, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, and those come up mainly or like OCD and they come up in this way that gets trivialized, which yeah. like, drives me mm. insane. Like if everyone could please never be like, I'm just being OCD today. It's like, I have friends who have that shit and it's ruining their life. Yeah. Like let's yeah. not trivialize that or being schizo or bipolar. Like yeah, those yeah, things yeah, don't yeah. deserve yeah. that. But BPD weirdly doesn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> like we never, like those of us who fall in that category, it's like weirdly not talked about. And for a while, like Instagram banned the hashtag BPD. Mm. Where it's still, like still, if you search BPD, it's like, oh, hey, this, it's, this uh, hashtag associates with behaviors of self-harm. Are you okay? <laughs> like mm. you oh, really? would search it and it would like send you a, like a, huh. a link to being like, we want to make sure you're good. Oh, mm. interesting. Because BPD is... Um, it's a swing disorder kind of thing where like you range between like mania or psychosis. So it's very internalized and like there's lots of outbursts of anger, uh, lots of fear of like um, abandonment yeah. and like dissociation, which like, again, physical ailment when I was feeling like I couldn't move very isolating. So like that would be those moments of like spiraling inwards being like, everyone hates me. I don't want to be around anyone. Or like you either have a like, lot of love to give for people or like you want to just regress mm. from people. And like yeah. I'm an incredibly outward social person. 
So I managed to accrue all of these like various diagnoses for these things. And then I don't know, like started seeing therapists because my wife's like, you have to do this. And then like for a long time was still really resistant towards medication. Yeah. Because I was like, no, medications to do with my physical ailments <laughs> that I haven't really been dealing with yet. And then eventually I was like, I just kind of got sat down and some people very important in my life were like, if you don't fix this, like you got to like get out of here or like mm. you need to like take space to deal with this because like no one around you can be around you right now. Mm. Like you're kind of a maniac. And I'm like, I was, I was off the rails. The tricky thing with BPD is, and from what I gather, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure like there is no, there is really no medication like that can treat BPD. Like it's for what I've, what I've kind of put piece together is that the, the, the one piece of like, of, um, the one, the one like route to get to the the core of BPD and and treat BPD in in a sense is is DBT, um, like which is a form of of therapy group uh, group therapy specifically I, I believe. Um, I think there is like there is solo DBT. Oh, there it's, is it's okay. behavioral training, and I've done yes. some of it. Okay, yeah, and I find that like the behavioral training stuff is it's challenging. It yeah, really, especially for people with ADHD combo. Yeah, it's yeah, like, totally. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to pick up new behaviors. Have you like have you have you gone down the road of trying to manage and treat BPD and like what does that look like for you? Um, I take medications now. I have um, like three things that I kind of take. One is um, like a uh, very common antidepressant citalopram or like an off brand of citalopram, which really is about like mostly managing anxiety. Mm. Um, and that is coupled with lamotrigine, which is actually uh, often prescribed for people who suffer from seizures. Oh, interesting. Um, and I think I don't quite understand the chemical of it, but like in a certain way, that's some of what the episodes like for people with BPD will often call it splitting. Yeah. Where you really like start seeing just the black and gray, like the black and whites and no gray. And that's really like the extremes. Like, I don't know, I often describe it as like I'm always writing my own movie script. Right. And like most of the times it's catastrophizing and really awful shit like that. Mm. Um, so I feel like with those two, I've managed to like, could use maybe a little bit more dosage, but I've like managed to reduce the mania. Mm. And that's the biggest thing that I find from it is like a lot of like manic behaviors or like impulsive behaviors uh, or like distracted behaviors is like kind of one of the, some of the bigger ones. I've kind of managed to get toned down. Um, and I was always really scared of that because I was really worried about how it would like buffer my creativity mm -hmm. uh, and also buffer just like the big feeling because like it sucks when you're feeling those lows, but like the the high ride of BPD is like quite addictive in a certain mm -hmm. way. Totally. Like, I mean, like, I don't know, we can be addicted to some kinds of our, you know, mania or like we can be addicted to a certain kind of sadness as uh, that one song from mm. 2009 <laughs> um but like so you become addicted to like that huge emotional high rush right mm. and that's especially as someone who had like so many big emotional things this year come up yeah it was like oh, i don't want to lose the feeling of like you know i had my like the restaurant i work at bar kismet like we were put on the top 50 bars in north america list and that was huge for me Sweet. as like the bar director being like oh my god so that was huge, getting accepted into this Tales program. Like I had all this career stuff pop up out of the pandemic, all these opportunities to travel. And then like, of course, to top that off, like I had a kid. Mm. And I'd like, I know that was going to be like this huge life-changing moment. I didn't want it muted. Yeah. But then I realized more and more about how my behaviors were affecting other people. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. So I really wanted to like just mute myself, just like mute the edges, like round the edges out a little bit. And that's like the word for the last like three months of my life has been just like temper. Mm. Like I used to love extremes. I really believed in extremes. Like I'm someone who either like 
loves to party or loves to be like, no, I'm sober for six weeks. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where my ranges have been. It's like, oh no, I think there is like definitely like getting older. We're like, no, I need to like round the yeah. edges out of this thing. I mm. had this conversation. I had this conversation last night where I, and <laughs> I think we got onto it from, um, uh, uh, somebody was like, what's going on with Kanye West? Mm. And I was like, w- well, I, from how I understand it, it's like his mental health is declining, declining. Yeah. And, it is causing a spiral. And then it, we sort of ended up kind of weaving along and getting off of him and going into some other kind of ex- experiential things and, and talking about like how things like bipolar, BPD, um, uh, you know, a, a myriad of mental health things can be such an incredible can be so incredibly productive for people mm. and then also so incredibly destructive. Yeah. And they like really kind of, it kind of came back to like, Oh, the thing that has really enabled Kanye West to build the things that he's built is now the thing that is helping him destroy it all. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and like, and, and, and how do you as a person dealing with those things, I think especially in, a lot of times in combination with like a therapist recognize like how to manage that mm. without, without losing all the, without losing. Cause I think that's a, I think you're probably speaking about something that hits home to a lot of people who uh, are dealing with mental health issues of going, there is a piece of what I deal with that is really beautiful like, yeah. and really helpful. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to cr- totally crush that with therapy or medication or whatever it is. Like, I, but I, but also knowing that it can be destructive for for the people in your life and for you ultimately. Yeah, like it's. It, I think it's an impossible line, right? Yeah. Like I don't know what the solution is because yeah, for me it was super creative for a super long time and fueled me to have like endless amounts of energy and just like really hustle. And then like eventually it was like, oh, I'm just being an absolute monster. Like for someone who has spent I don't know like at least since I was eight years old, so miserable that I wanted to die. Like I had such a bad self image since I was like eight years old, making like crazy threats about like hurting myself to be called an egotist to be like you have a huge ego problem and i'm like oh how could someone who hates themselves that much have that and you're like okay here's how it affects other people Mm -hmm. because if you're so it's like at one point with my therapist i was calling it like an addiction to myself and like a lot of that addiction was like actually hateful as anyone's addiction to like almost anything is Mm -hmm. where it's like you know not everyone who's addicted to heroin is just going for the heroin (laughs) you know what i mean like it's really like this like self-hatred of like I am obsessed with this thing that is me and all of my thoughts have to revolve around it because I'm just so like disgusted or revolted by that thing that the protective method is like, I don't know, trying to hold people close, trying to bring people in. And like one of the things that I talked about like with a psychologist was like what she said in that weird like let's talk about your inner child way was like there is still a scared little boy who just wants his friends not to leave him Mm. and you do that with strangers, right? And that's Mm. why like I'm an incredibly open person and part of that is um, a BPD symptom is that like you will open up your heart to like everyone. And like, that Ooh. sounds pretty dope. Hey, like mm-hmm. that sounds really great being able to be like immediately vulnerable, but to some people that's a little bit much and a little bit oversharing and like learning that boundary is kind of challenging for a neurodivergent person. But like when you realize a lot of it is like, Oh yeah, like I didn't have friends until I was like 13 cause I moved around a lot. So like my parents were my friends and that's kind of all Ooh. I had. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of thing, like I've always been reaching for that and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, mm. You find that there's anchors for those things. But to go back to this like Kanye West thing, eventually you just become this thing that's like intolerable towards other people or like mm. not, you can't see beyond like the veil of self 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. like when you're stuck in that world, like it just, it's not as fun. And I think again, like having a kid changes all that mm. or like learning how, like at first, cause I wasn't really dealing with it well. Like I wasn't dealing with all my mental health issues as well when my daughter was first born. Now, eight months later after her being born and like four months into a more fixed medication plan for both my mental health and my physical health. Now I'm like actually understanding be like, Oh, here's what I want to be for this person. Mm. And like now everything, now I'm finally able to step outside of myself and actually like yeah. see everyone else around me a lot better. Yeah. What That's would you good. say is the, the biggest thing that uh, ankylosing spondylitis has taken away from you? Oh, that's huge. Um, very specifically, I can say that there was a dance project that I was working on um, in October of last year. Uh, it was like an acrobatic and um, uh, art-based dance project. We were working with Janet Eckelman, who's this like amazing sculpture artist who hangs all these nets in the air. Um, the choreographer was Rebecca Legier, who's uh, the head of the dance program at Princeton. She's from here. She's super cool. And she came here because Nova Scotia was like a safe place during COVID to like start the rehearsal process. Mm. She uh, she uh, related to Stuart Legier. I'm not sure. Do you, do you have any idea? Do you know who Stuart Legier is? Yeah, I do know Stuart. I don't think. Uh, yeah. No. Um, but yeah, so she was amazing. And like I hadn't been dancing for a while because of some of these physical ailments, but I've done some really cool dance projects over my life. And just because I was a physically strong person and wanted to engage with it, I got to work on the project. And we like had a really intense summer where I was like working full time at Kismet and like doing this dance project during the day. And then my wife told me she was pregnant and I was like, holy shit. So we were like doing all these things. COVID was like really lightening up. It was like all this moment of hope. And then like October of last year hit or like September of last year hit. And I was like going to emergency for my back pain. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this. And I had to call and be like, listen, I can't keep going on the project. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. And like, I think the biggest thing that it took, it's taken away from me um, has been like, thinking that I can do everything at once and like being like, Oh yeah, I can totally like weight train, train for this uh, cocktail competition, do this dance project, work full time and work on my own consulting company. Mm. Like I can't do 10 things anymore, mm-hmm. but maybe that's actually a way better thing. Cause now I have a growing family and like, um, I get to be a lot better at the work that I am doing. Mm. Yeah. So that's what would, the what would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? I think exactly that. Like, I think it's mm. given me like just perspective of like taking care of myself, like yeah. actually not frying myself so I can show up for the things that I want to show up for. Like um, one of my mentors from theater school said something that like will stick with me forever. Um, and he passed away a couple of years ago and I think it hit a lot of us who were trained by him very hard. Uh, it was just like, I care about two things, my family and the work, mm. nothing else I take seriously. Mm. And like, as a result, like, you can enjoy a lot more of life when you pick at things for fun and don't take them seriously. And if you have like your focus on like family and if your work is important to you, that's awesome. Um, I've realized more and more that work doesn't have to be important for everyone. And I think one of the reasons for working those like slug jobs and hating your jobs is because then you can love your life more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you love your life outside your work more, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And if you work a, a job that you don't like because of that, that's totally fine. Um, I'm just lucky enough that I love my work and I love my family. <laughs> But at some point, I think I could, if I had to make that decision, like it'd be easy now. Mm-hmm. Like I can make the decision being like, if I can live a meaningful, simpler, like quote unquote, simpler life of just like hanging out and enjoying watching my like daughter grow up or like other kids grow up or whatever the plan is, then that would actually be mm-hmm. totally more rewarding. And like being able to be physically present for that is so much more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think I that's that. huge. Well, Dylan, this has been a, a real treat, dude. It was—it's it's so huge. nice to have you come into the studio and and share a bit of your life with us. Um, you know, 
big, uh, big congrats on, on finding these new medications that are like making such a huge difference in your life. And, uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come hang out with us. I'm glad you guys had me here. This is like, again, this is the most important thing that we can be doing is creating community around this conversation. So I think it's huge what you guys do. Cool. Thanks for having me here. Thanks dude. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.